Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to the No Bad Dogs podcast. In this episode, I have my No Bad Dog members club that I just answer a ton of dog training questions in. And it goes from everything from my dog is obsessed with a laser pointer and now has OCD, what should I do? From what e-collar should you use to having imposter syndrome as a dog trainer? A lot of good questions on here. I know you guys are going to love it. Uh, We just put out our brand new interactive No Bad Dogs treat pouch, which I'm very excited that has launched. You guys can get the treat pouch in the link in the description below, as well as a brand new t-shirt that we designed that comes with a free sticker. And um, we are coming, UK, <clears throat> London. Uh, we're coming to the London area in September. All of the uh, description and link is listed below. We're also doing the Level Up program with me for canine professionals. Uh, It doesn't matter if you've been in the industry for 20 years or you've been in the industry for five minutes or you want to get into the industry. We're doing basically a lunch in with me before my seminar so you guys get private time with me to chat. Um, Very small, selected people. I know Will Atherton is going to be around for the weekend. He may be around answering questions as well. I can't guarantee that. Um, But those all the links in the description below for the London seminar. Um, We're also taking applications for working spots. I know we had 20 applications the first day. Right now, I think we've accepted maybe two. Uh, We're just kind of feeding through these things as we, excuse me, as we go. But anyway, I hope you guys enjoy the podcast. If you guys are listening to this on Spotify or iTunes, do me a solid favor and leave us review. We do this absolutely for free. If you guys want to do me a favor and you're thinking, man, Tom gives me so much free stuff and information. It's helped my dog and it gives me free value or whatever, however you're consuming this content. Do me a solid favor. Pause this podcast, pull over, stop what you're doing, leave us a review in the iTunes review chart or in the Spotify area as well. And I'll talk to you guys uh, in a little bit. Bye. Um, Cool thing about this chat too, guys, is, is it's pulled up as I can see everybody, Chelsea, Hannah, Henry, Darlene, Christy, Terry, Mary, I can see all you guys. Zoom is a little bit different. Um, so we can take some live Q&As as well if you guys are interested. Uh, I'm going to start answering some of your questions. This week we have a couple good ones. Uh, I'm going to start off with uh, I'm going to start off with Chelsea right here. So, hi Tom, I'm such a big fan and longtime follower. I'm a private trainer in California, so- soon relocating to Oregon. My question is let me just, uh, let me make sure my, okay, my levels here, my, okay. So my question has more to do with getting through the imposter syndrome. I've struggled with it, with it for the last three years that I've been 
uh, solo training. I came from the film industry and that type of training was so different. I left the film side of things because my natural abilities are in behavior. I've always just been able to feel and read the dogs and know what's going to happen. I've been successful in working with dogs with behavioral problems enough so that I've built a full-time client base solely on word of mouth, which is great. Uh, Regardless of my results, my difference, the training is making in clients' lives. I struggle to take on any kind of credit. So I find a ton of reassurance in your podcast and development, um, a bit of the what would TD do. Um, I've been told that I've been given the exact same answers, verbatim advice from a video or podcast of yours that my client has previously listened to before I had discovered you. I'm still struggling, feel like I'm lying or something. I've listened to your episode with Will Atherton and you covered that a lot and what advice for you? What advice should you give me in the moment? Feeling of imposter syndrome. I strive for the level of confidence you have in yourself. And I'm sure it comes with more experience, but the moments gets me down sometimes. I do feel like I've been burning myself out a little bit as well. I've been training for six years now, and the thought of starting over in a new state is scary. Thank you for being a beautiful human that you are. Thank you, Chelsea. Appreciate that. I'm going to dive into this a little bit. Um, So the podcast that we have done... Uh, with Will Atherton, obviously he's another dog trainer. Um, you know, in particular in the in the sp- and he's a he's also a content creator and and a, and a father and a husband and a friend. Um, so he's a lot of things. But you know, we have a lot of very mutual. Our brains are the same. We're wired the same. I've never met anybody in my life that thinks the way that I do, and he's always said the same thing about me. The reason why I'm talking about Will is because we've done two podcasts and both of them have gone well over two hours plus, almost three hours. And we talk a lot about the imposter syndrome. And I know, Chelsea, you've you've listened to that podcast or you've even watched that podcast because it's on YouTube as well. But I'll be honest, just today, I, I, every day I have imposter syndrome. Every day I, I feel like, you know, it just depends on, I think, I think human beings in general are naturally just exposed and vulnerable to life. And I think it's the way that our brains work is we're all just going through life trying to find out what makes us happy and trying to find out what fulfills us. And a lot of times what fulfills you also makes you happy and what makes you happy also fulfills you. And so I've been thinking about this a lot. Um, we just we're creating some more longer format vlog type stuff for the behind the scenes because I'm much more than a dog trainer. I'm also, you know, a full time content creator and all the cool cool stuff that I get to do. We're creating on and so we're, we're we're working on that a little bit more to kind of give you guys a little behind the scenes. But as far as imposter syndrome, for those of you who don't know, is essentially um, doing something but also feeling like you're tricking the world because you're not good enough or feeling like you're tricking the world because you're not supposed to be doing it. But I don't think, I don't think anybody, uh, I guess the, what I'm trying to say is, is I feel like a, everyone has imposter syndrome. If you listen to anybody very successful, it doesn't matter if it's Leonardo DiCaprio or a dog trainer, everybody has imposter syndrome. You win a, you win a Tony, you win a Grammy, you win an Oscar people are, you're still going to feel, I remember, I remember you're still going to feel um, like you're not supposed to be there. You don't belong. It's just a part of our mechanism in our brain that constantly uh, second guesses the things that you're doing. And I think it's healthy because um, naturally um, human beings, egos, uh, you don't want, you don't want your ego to, to, to do all the thinking and, and certainly not do all the talking. 
um, and understanding and being educated about your ego because I think everyone pretty much has one and not letting that take away. Ego gives you confidence and it also kicks in when you need it to, but you have to make sure that you're not fully listening to that because um, it's not real, a lot of this stuff. So there was a conversation, I was listening to a podcast, I think it was with Joe Rogan and and another um, creator and they sold out like this huge arena and they got on stage and they were like, man, I can't believe I've fooled all these people. That's how they felt. They literally had no idea that all these people love them and care for them and they mean a lot to them and they make them laugh and they make them cry and they make them all these things. And so imposter syndrome, I think as a, as a human, you're, you're just going to have to go through it. And I, I had it today. I, let me see if I can think, I, I, I can't remember. Oh, you know what it was is I'll, I'll tell you and I'll be vulnerable and real with you because I think that that's like the easiest way to really break through the noise of, of, of what's real. And I, I, the only comments that I look at in particular are YouTube because I care a lot, a lot about on social media, not in the members club and things like that. Like I already know, you know, who you guys are and you know me, but there was a comment that came through on YouTube that basically like put out all these things about, it was a dog named Leo. It was a Dutch shepherd that tried to kill me multiple times. And it was a 10 minute video. And we filmed with that dog for, I don't know, 52 hours. Uh, no, no, I lied. We'd filmed with that particular dog with those owners for um, two days, two, two and a half days, six days, six hours. So um, I was thinking 24 hours plus 24 hours is 48. No, it wasn't two full days, uh, 24 hours out of the day. Anyway, we filmed with this freaking dog for a long time, hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. And somebody just went through and like broke down all these things about you didn't point out this and you didn't point out that and you didn't point out this. And I'm thinking, I'm shaking my head like, dude, this is crazy. This is crazy. Um, the amount of uh, just people who, who you put yourself out there to the world. And I think that that's where a lot of people get imposter syndrome is, is they – because I think there's levels to it, right? I mean, there's imposter syndrome with just you and your client, and then there's imposter syndrome with you and the world. And um, I, I think um, I think the imposter syndrome is, like I said, healthy and natural. But the way that I deal with it is just a, a fire inside of me that comes out. That's how I, I deal with imposter syndrome is I'm not trying to be somebody. I'm just being myself. I'm not trying to... Uh, I'm not, I'm just being myself. I mean, when I do seminars, it 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 dramatically increases my confidence as a human being in what I do because I show up with 30 to 100 people with eight new dogs with cameras rolling and people in the crowd who are excited to meet me uh and also nervous to meet me and also hesitant to meet me and, and see me. And some people are there seeing like, Oh, what's, you know, what's this guy about? Other people are there cause they're so excited to learn. And, and I'm doing the same thing. And when I get, when I get into seminar mode, I just black out. I just do these things. I just, I just go and I don't stop. And people are like, Whoa, 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 the entire time. And it's nothing that I prepare for. It's nothing that I prep for. I just get into that room and I just go. I just let my my personality and my behavior and my thoughts, everything just comes out of me. I'm, and if anybody's been to a seminar of mine, I'm very upfront and honest. There's no traditionalism. There's no structure. It's just, hey, let's just work some dogs and figure it out. And so I think 
the way that I work with it is confidence in, in what I do. Like how good does it feel to say the things that you're saying and do the things that you're doing and just understand that if you didn't have imposter syndrome, um, you know, then you wouldn't be part of everyone else that's that you maybe that you look up to or that you're that you think is successful or that you wanna um that you're inspired and empowered to be like because everyone has it. So I think the best way to deal with it is just understand that it's there and it's healthy. I deal with it every day. Dealt with it today myself. Um, there's 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 a lot of moments in my life, you know, and and I think what it is is it's a ratio. If nine times out of ten you really feel good about the work that you're doing and 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 the dog's results are amazing and the owner is happy, then you're good and you just skate by and you just keep doing your thing. And then there's just that one percent of time, and I think it has. I mean, for me, it's come down to sleep. It's come down to, <laughs> for sure, food. Um, nutrition, uh, meaning like if I'm tired and hangry, I, I, I feel like I, I shouldn't even, I shouldn't even be able to walk. Like I'm just like a low life loser who shouldn't be able to do anything. And that's just, that's just being a human. Everybody goes through that stuff. Everybody goes through those days where you're like, man, am I really doing what I should be doing? And, but, but again, the nine times out of 10 where you get those goosebumps and things just click and everything falls into place, it just overrides everything. And that's all that matters. And you just work hard and hard and hard. And, um, you know, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of times too, in my career where I get told no, you know, behind closed doors, whether it's something for a product or a TV show or a movie or um, a client or a business venture or whatever, there's just a lot of things that people don't see as well. And so, you know, just to be real with you guys, that's why we're vlogging. We're going to vlog a lot to kind of show you guys like everything behind the scenes about everything that we do, traveling with a, a young family and a small business owner, traveling the world, helping dogs. It's There's a lot of entertainment value, but there's also a lot of lessons learned that I learn on camera that I think will help you guys. And um, so just know, Chelsea, that everybody goes through that imposter syndrome. So if you're thinking about that at any given time, you just have to take a step back and say, you know what? Tom goes through this every day. Will goes through this every day. Other people, you know, whoever you look and look up to, they they go through it, and it's just a part of being a human. I think that that's what keeps us safe. If we didn't have that hesitancy to be, wait a minute, what, why, who, who am I again? Like, how do I know how to do this? And especially when you're an artist, and that's really where a lot of dog training comes into an art form. Is if you start working with dogs because you're just good at it, then. Um, you know, that that's where it more comes into imposter syndrome because you didn't spend $120,000 in four years or six years in a school learning these things. Um, you know, if you're just good at what you do, you can pick up that guitar and just play and people gather around you to watch you play. That that makes you good. That makes you talented. That makes you a natural. And I think that that's another notch in the belt of imposter syndrome for a lot of artist out there is um, you don't have the traditional degree, but you know neither does Guy Fieri. Yeah, good chefs. There's a lot of Michelin star, five-star chefs that don't have a traditional background. They just got into the kitchen because they were really good at cooking and they needed structure and somebody taught them how to plate and somebody taught them how to manage and somebody taught them how to do orders. And now, you know, so you just have to take it to, as an artist instead of a, a career and artistry. And when you're doing things that you love, you're going to be going against a lot of things. And one of those things is not many people around you are going to be chasing that dream of an of something that you're passionate about. You're going to be surrounded typically in living with and around or in the community of a lot of people that are kind of going down a path that 
they're, you're not going down. And so you don't have a lot of people to talk to and you don't have a lot of people to relate to. And so you're, you're even a bigger black sheep. And then you kind of scratch your head, man, what am I doing? So it happens all the time, but the reward is the fulfillment and those goosebumps that you get that I know I get. Um, every time I talk to, to dog owners and I help them break through, it's just this, that's why I keep going and I keep pushing because I'm like, I just have more and more to give. I'm, I just feel like I'm just getting started and, um, yeah, there's just so much, you know, and, and it's pretty cool and you can't make sense of it, but yeah. So I hope that that helps with imposter syndrome, but you know, it's, um, it's, it's, it's a lot, you know, it's a lot of weight on your shoulders too, when you're going out there and you're trying to do something that you love and, you know, and then when you have challenges, you just want, it's easy to give up or it's easy to, oops, sorry. Ah, it's easy to, uh, you know, feel like that. So I hope that that helps, you know, uh, but like I said before, I mean, that podcast that we've done with Will and, uh, and myself is, is a good, good podcast to listen to. We dive into that a lot. Um, and then as far as like opening up a new facility, look like if you're good, you're good. That's it. You know, if you're good, you can be placed anywhere in the world, Italy, South Africa, Germany, China, Japan, Australia, like place you anywhere in the world. And if you're good at what you do, you'll survive. And if you're hardworking, you'll, you'll thrive. And I, and I think that that's, um, it's part of it, you know, and it's a beautiful thing about having a gift is that gift is something that if you harness and you bust out and you, and you really, um, exploit that in a good way, then you'll be fine. But there's a lot of hard work that comes behind a gift. So Next one comes from Hope Graves. Hey, Tom, my 15-month-old Border Collie Marvel is obsessed with shadows and right reflections. Uh, he will chase, stare, and fixate at them for long stretches of time, and it visibly stresses him out. We can call him and introduce him to toys and treats, but it's like his brain is completely shut off and he doesn't hear us unless we physically move him or get in front of him. When he was a puppy, he played with him with a laser pointer literally twice before realizing that it disappeared it disappearing light stressed him out and we threw it away further research since has confirmed that we should never have introduced that in the first place. So hope, um, I've talked about this a couple times and I, these are the types of things. This is why it's hard to be, this is where dog training is so interesting, right? Because I've said this before. I'm like, Hey, you guys got to be careful about laser pointers because it can create OCD for certain dogs. And then they can't live their life because they're constantly searching for these little reflections that they think exist when they really don't. And then there's other people in the comments or in other forums or whatever that are like, my dog loves the laser pointer. I bring it out when it's crappy out and my dog loves it. We play and then we put it away and it's over. So there's, there's such a big spectrum of what matters to dogs and what doesn't and what it causes long-term effects and what doesn't. So this is just one of those things that, yeah, I typically tell people not to do it because it creates an unhealthy obsession like you're dealing with. Um, this is a really hard question because it becomes a disorder to some degree, it becomes like OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. They see this little reflection once or twice and they chase it and you make it like a little cat toy. And then you think it's, and, and I, I hope I, you know, I, I want this to come out the right way, but it looks fun, right? And your dog's having fun. You're like, Oh, this is great. Look at this. My dog's chasing this. And then you put it away and then they're constantly looking for reflections in the car and in the house and in the hallways and the bathroom everywhere. They're just looking for this thing that doesn't exist. And so it is very challenging. Um, I think the best thing to do is to is to just remove him. From, I'm just picturing a dog that all of a sudden fixates on something. I think the best thing to do is either try to find the the cause of that 
reflection and try to remove it. And then the other thing is, is just move the dog out of the room. Just put the dog in the other room. There's nothing you can really do because again, it becomes this compulsion. It becomes this, um, again, this disorder potentially that the dog is like obsessed and they can't get it out of their head. Um, so I think that that's the best thing to do is to literally just assertively, he sees it, he gets obsessed. You just push your dog out of the situation, say, nope. And, and you just move on. Um, alternatively, you can find something greater. I know that you said that you've tried toys, um, things like that. Um, I just, you know, I have a squeaker in my squeak in my my treat pouch that we came out with. So just trying to find something that you can go squeak and then the dog's attention comes towards you and then you pay the dog anything you can do to say, Hey, look over here instead, because essentially it's, you can't correct it because you created it and the dog is like, doesn't know that it's a bad thing because it's not real. It's a shadow. So it is really difficult. Um, so I, I would just say that you have to be really careful when you are working with dogs that have these types of, because normal training doesn't really apply to this. So corrections is not really fair. Um, obedience can help, but again, because it's, it's, it's such a, um, obsession, um, it, it may not even, you know, enter. And so for me, if I, I always put it into, if Lakota had this, I would, recall her and move her out of the situation. That's it. That's what I would do. If all of a sudden she gets like a cat onto something, it's like, go to come. And I push her out of the room or I push her out of the equation or I push her out of the scenario. Um, I, I don't think you can fix it because I know that that's the last sentence you have here. What can we do to fix this behavior? I don't think you can fix it. I just think what you can do is remove the dog from the situation when they get into this tick. Uh, alternatively, allow them to play it out where if you're like, whatever, um, if they're just trying to play, but I find that a lot of dogs will actually just search all day long for this. It kind of reminds me of the, if you guys ever have seen the movie hook with Robin Williams as Peter Pan and, uh, uh, Dustin Hoffman, I think is hook, uh, captain hook, the pirate. The, anyway, there's an older guy in the in the movie and he's looking for his marbles all the time and they don't really exist he just keeps like where's my mar-? he's kind of they paint him and portray him as like this crazy person who's looking for marbles and they're like okay grandpa's looking for marbles but they do exist in like neverland and, and the reason why i'm bringing this up because that's what it reminds me of is they're just constantly kind of like going crazy they're just looking around for this light that doesn't exist and and they drive themselves nuts so i think the best thing to do is to probably just remove the dog from the situation. Cause I don't think you're going to be able to fix it. And then, uh, I, the other thing on top of that would be mental and physical exercise. So if the dog is mentally and physically exhausted, they're going to be very less likely to look for these types of things. Cause what he's looking for, he or she is looking for is something to do. Like I'm going to chase something. So if you can say, Hey, I'm going to work you mentally. I'm going to work you physically. I'm going to do this with you. Then, that that gives you that opportunity for for the dog to like really decompress throughout the day so they may not go and look for the laser or the lights or the reflection so that's the other thing too is this is the more you decompress that build uh the better um in my opinion and that's that's what i would do oh and by the way guys i don't have it with me but we just launched our brand new no bad dog interactive treat pouch so we spent about six months trying to find the right 
coloring and find the right features and all that stuff. And I was wearing it for a while and you guys were always asking about it and I didn't say it because I was trialing it and I was using the prototypes and it's finally out. It has a squeaker inside of it. Um, it's my favorite treat pouch. Um, I, I don't like the silicone ones because they, they bust open and they're kind of flimsy. This is a perfect treat pouch. So if you're interested, just so you guys know, you guys can find that. If you're listening to this in the podcast, you can find it in link description, but you guys are already know it's on buynobaddogs.com. So anyway, um, I don't know why we started talking about that, but I just want to let you know that I'm very excited that we just launched those yesterday and I appreciate everyone who's ordered one so far. looks like they are going to sell out, but we're going to contact the manufacturer because we don't make them downstairs and then we're going to hand cut some, they're going to hand cut more and sew them up and send them to us. Anyway, next question comes from Geneva Gossman. Hey Tom, hope you had a great week. Thanks for the updates on the podcast. It's been awesome to hear everything that you have going on. Do you have any tips for getting dogs to eat raw food? My Aussie can be picky and I really like the benefits from raw. So far she turned her nose up. Um, and I've had no luck. I purchased a small box from We Feed Raw, and I have given her small bits with no real luck. Um, so first of all, on the raw food, every dog is different. So there's things that you can do. So I rem- I'll give you a quick story. When I found out the benefits of raw food, and again, like guys, I'm not pu- like I'm, I am. Um, telling people about raw food, but I don't want anybody to feel like they have to do raw food. I just have had really great results from using raw food. There are good cable companies out there that your dog will be happy uh, and, and be totally fine. So don't feel like you're, you know, you're not, you're not, um, you're losing if you don't get raw food. I just want to point that out. I just try to give people, Hey, this is what I do. This is what works for me. This is what's beneficial for me. But I'll remember when I started switching to raw food because of the benefits, uh, I switched my cat to raw food too, because I I knew that my cat was obsessed with friskies and I'm going to talk about raw food and how I got my cat to eat raw food and the hilariousness that comes with it. To be completely honest with you guys, it's insane what this cat now does so i have a cat named pip um he's basically the last soldier of like my main crew so there was lola thompson and pip i rescued pip because the dogs that i was watching when i was a dog walker way back in the day 12 years ago killed pip's family essentially and so there was just one little kitten left and it was on the porch and he was trying to figure life out and i can't remember how old he was but i know i had to feed him like milk and stuff he was a little baby I brought him home. My dogs loved him as they do. And it was uh, the three amigos, Lola, Thompson, and Pip. Anyway, he's still alive and doing great. But um, I wanted to get him on raw food, but he was obsessed with friskies. So the friskies that like in the blue bag, like junk, garbage, corn and corn syrup and sugar. It's all it was. He was, he was, he was literally obsessed with it. And so, um, I wanted to switch him to raw food. So the so the company that I was using at the time and still use in and out with We Feed Raw had cat nuggets. And so the cat nuggets um, I, I put into the to the dish and he wouldn't eat this for like two weeks. He just would like he would he would go to the plate and he'd be like, Nope, 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 nope. And then one time he got I can't remember what happened, but I don't know if we went long enough to where he got just hungry enough and then he started eating it. Now he's a savage. And he eats everything and he's obsessed with raw food. But we saw this change in him. Once we started feeding him raw food, he wanted to eat everyone's food. I, I think he was so addicted to the friskies and like the commercial commercialism of the of the food that that he was eating, the garbage, 
as soon as he realized like I had the raw chicken for him, he went nuts. So he literally, my wife wants, uh, she's very frustrated with him every day because he jumps up on the counter and tries to eat our food and he'll dig through bags. He'll go through my Pelican when I get him from a seminar and find my treats. It's something just, just switched in him for raw food. So I'll just give you my, my, my story there. You guys will see a lot more of that in the vlog, I'm sure. Cause it happens every day and he's a savage an absolute savage. He grew up with two big dogs. Now he, now he lives with Lakota and he's a savage anyway. Um, so, uh, the game plan, uh, for you would be continue to like maybe blend it in with his other food or wait or fast him until he gets hungry enough to give him a little bit, um, and try everything you can to, to entice the dog, um, to eat. Um, but I just find that a hungry dog will end up eating within reason, um, like that's what we do at the facility. Sometimes when, when, when a dog is really doesn't have a lot of drive as we'll fast them for a, a breakfast and in the evening they're like, okay, I'm hungry. And then we can work them and we can start to develop relationships with them. So I think it'll just come in time to be truthful with you. I think I had my own experience with it. My cat wanted nothing to do with this raw food and this dog lit or this cat literally is now obsessed. It just took like She's like, he's like, nope, 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 nope. Okay, I'm kind of hungry. All right, I'll try it. And that was it. <sighs> that was it. Oh, my gosh. Um. Yeah, so that's what I would say is just keep taking your time. Keep being consistent with it. He's going to get, he or she's going to get hungry at some point. Um, and I would say if he's, he or she's hungry, just start eating and then, you know, see how it goes. And of course, just mix it in with your other other food that your dog used to eat. Um, but there's all sorts of food toppers and kefir and um, so much stuff that you can add to. That's what I would be doing. And then the other thing is just switch up your protein if you haven't yet. Change up your protein. Um, try to switch to something like, um, you know, my, my dog, Lakota, isn't really that picky, but excuse me, some of my other dogs used to be um, kind of picky about the protein. They didn't like duck or whatever so secondly i have a two-year-old this is the next question i have a two-year-old aussie that i've been looking into some different dog activities for her and i'm a little overwhelmed with the different options especially knowing what it's all about do you have any good suggestions for things to look for uh, info for her or is this would be better podcast or topic no worries well um different dog activities for her um as far as like sports go and stuff i would just like I, i'm not sure activities sports and um, there's like um there's like rally obedience there's agility there's fast cat fast cat for those of you guys that don't know is basically the dogs chasing that little like white ghost thing on a line some of my employees do it and they absolutely love it so you can look into something like that and if you're looking for activities just at home I would suggest like the busy boards or the, is that what they're called? Busy boards? They're like the the little pu puzzle puzzle boards that you put your kibble in or treats in and the dog like works it out. So it gets them to mentally work. Those are good. Um, playing hide and seek with your dog. So putting your dog into a sit stay, taking a ball, putting it in the other room. Um, that's a lot of fun. Um, and I think just uh, mental stimulation with obedience in general is a really good idea to do. Um yeah. So, I mean, don't be, don't be overwhelmed. Just kind of take it day by day and see what's going to fit best for you and your, you and your dog. It's easy to get overwhelmed about something you care about. I'm the same way. Um, so, you know, I used to, I used to film and edit all my own videos for more time now than we have a full-time person, Abby. Now I, I still have done it longer myself than having her. Um, she's great, but 
Anyway, I was always overwhelmed about like editing and equipment and lenses and cameras and audio. And it was just like, and I just took my time and cause I'm, I'm a very like anxious person when it comes, I just want to like know how to do it and get it done. Um, but anyway, so just take your time and just really figure out what's going to be best for you and, and, and go slow with it. And, um, just kind of like write out your goals and the things you want to do, and then just kind of match up what fits best for you and your dog. And that's what I would do. Uh, lastly, in one of your podcasts with Forrest, you had mentioned teaching a fearful dog to do things like push a book off a table to reduce its fears of noise noises. Do you have any suggestions to find trainers that work with dogs under more of these circumstances? If not, is there a specific name for helping a fearful dog that I could look up? Um, um, is there, there's, there's, it's not like a type of training. It's just like, um, I don't know, fair training, um, behavior training, look at, I would just look up behavior modification training. Um, but yeah, there, the, that's just something that you can do to get creative. And that's all Forrest and I usually talk about, um, is just, you know, getting creative with the things that we, um, you know, want to do and our goals that we have. And, um, also for my Australian listeners, we're really hoping to come to Australia this year, later this fall. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. Um, tip, tickets are going to be unbelievably scarce and, and limited. Um, so make sure you guys follow me. Um, if you guys are listening on the podcast, uh, the tickets will be announced there. But if you're not in the members club, the members will have first access to tickets as always. So anyway, um, talking about Forrest, I would just, yeah, I would just say like get creative. That's just style. That's just like creativity. It's like when you walk into a restaurant, you look at somebody's menu and you're like, whoa, I've never seen anybody do this with potatoes. I've never seen anybody do this with cardamom. I've never seen anybody do that with basil. I've never seen anybody do that with pasta. It's really just style and preference. So there's not a type of training. That's just a personality. That's just somebody's creativity coming out. And those are the types of trainers that you, you know, that I think you should start to try to work with. Um, and that's what it comes down to, you know, and, and if you guys, again, have been to my seminars or you've seen footage from seminars, that's how I am. I am a, like a mad scientist in there trying to problem solve, trying to, um, get through stuff. I know Henry's been to, uh, my seminar. He's in the live here in LA. And, um, so yeah, if you just, yeah, that's just what it is. It's more style and, and, and more preference on like, okay, how, what am I going to do with this project? And, yeah. Next one comes from Grant. Three weeks in. What a world of difference that this has made for us. Who knew an energetic 10-year-old 56-pound corgi mix could chill the F out and walk by your side in three days? He cares about no one, no human, no dogs. So that's great. Great to hear, Grant. My one, So I'm assuming that you learned all that uh, through the members club and all of the footage that we have. And that's the other thing I was going to tell you guys is each week, that you guys are in the members club, it gets better because we're constantly adding things in there. There, there is over almost two years, two years of cataloged um, training from seminars to out of states to training to Tom's journal to just the lives and the members and the um, pro team. So each day and each week and definitely each month, the No Bad Dog Members Club gets a little sweeter each and every month with all of the new stuff that's being injected in there because I'm learning and I'm getting new styles and I'm doing new things and, and you guys are kind of watching that. You know, you're not getting the 10-minute video on YouTube. You're getting hours of footage. So um, I'm really happy to hear, Grant, that you're doing so well. Uh, my one question is about resource guarding. He loves the tennis balls and since the summer has come around, he seems more more 
agitated at the dog park. Uh, would weather be to blame for the change in attitude? I can see it being age plus heat related as well as toy guarding, working on leave it soon in an effort to persuade him to mind no business to other dogs. Um, resource guarding, he loves the tennis ball. And since the summer has come around, um, he's more agitated at the dog park. I would just say if your dog has resource guarding, you should tackle the resource guarding. But also at the same time, like if your dog has resource guarding and you're going to the dog park where there's items, you're just asking for a problem. Um, that's what's going to happen. Uh, it's just asking for trouble. It's asking for a fight. And that's, um, unfortunately white, what might happen. So my suggestion to you, Grant is to do the best you can to, um, a limit the things that are in the dog park because dog parks alone, you know, you guys know my opinion on those. They're like public pools. You can't really control what people do in there. It's not, you, you don't have any control or say in that. Um, and you just have to like, hopefully cross your fingers that every dog that comes in there is, 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 um, balanced and neutral and non-aggressive, which, you know, tends to not to happen. And a lot of people in the dog parks just don't have control over their dogs. They just go there to release. And, and I get it. The idea of dog parks are amazing. They just don't really ever work out because the unregulated policies that they have. So to be honest with you, Grant, um, if you have a dog that has resource guarding, yes, the leave it and the recall are going to be helpful. But if you have a dog that has resource guarding and there's items like tennis balls in the dog park surrounded by other dogs, you're just setting up your dog for failure. So outside of that, yeah, um, resource guarding is one of those things that you have to start working on in a clinical environment by yourself. Um, it's going to be really hard for you to work on resource guarding with tennis balls surrounded by other dogs. It's like, that's like level three obedience and you, you have to start with level one. So my suggestion is to, um, really work on your leave it and your obedience outside of that to counter. Um, but to be honest with you, I would just be really mindful and careful or, um, not go to the dog park and, or at least like pick and choose. Cause the thing about the dog park guys is I have clients that live in Manhattan and if their dog doesn't go to a dog park, their dog doesn't go outside. And I get that. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm trying to look at it as, as a very generalized lens. I'm not saying if that's your option, don't go to the dog park and keep your dog inside on pee pads, you know, and there's people who live in Montana and Oregon that their dog parks are 20 acres and they ne never even see another dog. So you got to read between the lines of what I'm saying here. At, and that goes for anything I say, you know, I, I'm a, I'm, I'm basically offering very generalized um, professional advice that can determine the way that your dog thinks and acts. And if it works, great. But if it doesn't, understand that there's got to be context and, and granule talks and information about that. Um, but I would just be very mindful about the dog park in general, to be honest with you, especially if there's tennis balls. That's a huge red flag, especially if your dog has resource guarding. So happy to hear you're doing great, Grant. Welcome to the Members Club, and we look forward to uh, your continued success, my friend. Penny, I wanted to watch the live, but my approval is still pending for Mighty Networks. Is there a different way to watch? Um, well, uh, I think you should be watching now. Um, I, I've never heard that before. Um, we do have the pro team or the, we always have support in here. So we always res respond within 24 hours. So you're on now, Penny. I'd like to hear it. Uh, my two-year-old English Shepherd has started a fight a few times with my 12-year-old German Shepherd over resource guarding. We have a gate separating them, but would like them together again. They are both fixed. What's the best way to do this? They are fine seeing each other 
through the gate, no growling or anything. Um, so this sounds to me, Penny, like it's resource guarding at its core. I'm going to A, tell you that we have, um, I think, two recent podcasts on resource guarding itself talking about that. But I think uh, resource guarding isn't something that you can really take personally or you shouldn't look at it in a personal situation, uh, especially from an animal and a dog. You have to understand that resource guarding for dogs is very primal. It's very instinctual. It's very real. It could be very serious. It could also be very dangerous. So if a dog is resource guarding a bone or a steak or food or socks or a person, that doesn't necessarily mean, actually, it doesn't mean that the dog doesn't like the other dog. Out of that context, like you said, they're fine. There's no growling. There's no problems. That's because it's the dog is, they're having incidences with one another with resources, resources. So you have to make sure um, that you are very strategic and mindful and 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 due diligent about what knowing what your dog is resource guarding, Penny, and making sure that you have good enough obedience to counter these things. Talk about this every single time, no matter what I'm doing, guys, because it's that important. If your dog is resource guarding things and your dog is off leash and your dog is going to redirect or get aggressive towards your other dog because the resource guarding is that bad. Your communication and your overall control is represented by one's obedience. So Penny, what you can ask or tell your dog to do off leash is going to predicate the success of the scenario. If you do not have great off-leash obedience, you will not be successful in this situation if you decide to let the dogs coexist with one another without any separation. At the same time, again, I had a podcast, I want to say it was my last one or the one right before we talked about these dogs being, there's like two dogs fighting in the house or something. You should check that out, Penny, after this. But I would say um, that uh, if your dog is Getting into, if you guys can hear Banks, I'm sorry. I don't know what's going on downstairs. But if your dog is getting into fights with your other dog strictly because of resource guarding, that typically means that their relationship is is fine. They don't have tension towards one another necessarily long term. They don't hate each other. That just, that just means like, hey, I'm going to haul up and punch you in the face if you try to take my money. And that's normal, and that makes sense. Um, it's not appropriate, and we don't want it to happen. However, um, it's not between them. It's not dogs fighting, right? Because that's a different scenario. That's an entirely different scenario. Dogs who are actively fighting towards one another because they're aggressive towards other dogs is a different scenario, and that doesn't sound like that's what you're dealing with. Um, it sounds more about just the resource. Take out the resource. Ask yourself how good your obedience is. Because again, if if your dog maybe picks random things, again, shoes, socks, toys, um, whatever, that's your... Like if it's things you can't take out of the equation, then those are the types of things that you would recall your dog off of or you would have your leave it. Um so one question came in from Mary on the chat here. Tom, can you explain the difference between your all access, which is $39 a month versus the general, which is $20 a month? You're welcome, Penny. Um, Mary, for the 
all access, the $39.99 a month, you get the pro team. That's the difference. The pro team is literally my staff, Zach, Kyle, Kaysen, at my Upstate Canada Academy, I have personal trainers that we pay for our training are on here talking to everyone about their questions. So you get $39.99 for the month and you get access to my trainers every day. And so I can't express how it is. It is several hundred dollars per hour with them and you guys are getting them for 30 days. And it, and it, and it's, so it's, it's uh, basically what it does is it gives you an opportunity to reinforce the things that you're learning. So if you're watching all the content, the hours of footage of me training, and you had a question that pertains to you and your specific situation, and you go over to the pro team and you say, Hey, this is my dog. Would this collar work or would this training work or whatever? And then they would take it from there. I have, my son is, it's almost every time I'm in a meeting, I've had, I've had a couple meetings today and it's like. You guys probably can't hear him, but it's like my wife's like, all right, Banks, Tom, Dada is going to go into a meeting and we have to scream the whole time. I don't know. I'm like, hey, I got to go do the members club. Hey, I got this call with this guy. Or I got this call with this girl. It's like, okay, we're going to scream. <laughs> anyway, it's funny. Hopefully you guys can't hear it too much. I apologize if you can. I also don't want to leave and go downstairs to make sure the house isn't on fire because I don't want to leave the live. Next question. Diana, thank you for telling us over and over again. Obedience, obedience, obedience. It seems like that's all of our problem. And then I started thinking about it and what a difference. Thank you so much. That is the problem. That is the problem to everyone's issues. I would, I'd feel very, very, very confident to say that people who walk in that pay me thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to say, Hey, here's my situation. Now they are getting to train with me and, 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 and all that stuff. So there's a lot to it, but, and they're getting the experience, but I'm like, your obedience sucks. Your dog is reactive because your dog, you you don't have no control. Your dog is aggressive because you have no control. Your dog won't recall because you have no control. It's all about obedience. I don't know what's going on downstairs. I don't mean to bring more attention to it. I just think it's kind of funny. All right. Um, I'm just taking some chat questions here. Um, thank you, Max, for answering that. Chelsea, what is your advice on clients not wanting to remove the food lure? Um, I think just in general with clients not wanting to do something, you have to under- you have to respect it. But you also have to tell them and explain to them, you know, the the realities of like, hey, I'm the professional and you've hired me to help you. I'm telling you that if you don't do X, Y, or Z, you're not going to get the results that you paid me to do. Now, this is your dog and I don't, I don't mind if you go down your route, but just understand that you are going down that route by yourself because you won't listen to the professional that you hired. And that's it. Done. Hey, I want you, I'm going to pay you money to help me train my dog. Okay, I'm going to tell you how to do it. And they're like, I don't want to do it. And you're like, okay, just don't, you know. So um, sometimes what I find, Chelsea, too, is, um, and you'll, you'll notice, especially here in the members club, you guys are seeing the full session. YouTube, not so much. You know, we cut out the eighth time. I say, put your arm down. Stop saying this. Stop saying sit. Stop it. Stop doing that. Stop. You just coach them through it and you just help them. Um, 
Sarah Campbell. Hey, Tom, I have a quick question about Brego, my intact 14-month-old male St. Bernard. He's a wonderful dog and a big boy at 160 pounds. He's a total goofball. I love his personality. So here's the question. I tried to teach him drop it. Unfortunately, he didn't understand trading whatever he had, whatever I had. So... Be never actually, he never actually grasped what I wanted. Yesterday, I told him to drop it while we were uh, playing tug out of habit because Artemis drops anything I tell her to. Brago actually dropped it. Could he have learned it by watching Artemis do it? I've tried teaching him, but he never actually figured it out. Well, um, the fact that he did it, I would just pay him and move on. So who knows? I think, I think voice inflection has a big part of it. If you're like, hey, drop it, and then they're like, oops, I shouldn't have this. Um, or if you're stern just in general, I think that that happens. You know, dogs are like, oh, okay. So I think that that's probably more of what it was. Sure, he could have learned from Artemis, your other dog. But I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But I would take advantage of it. Say, yay, good drop it uh, and, and move on. All right, next question, Darlene. Valade. Hey, Tom, our question is related to our two-year-old Bernadoodle. He has been great with his training to date with all of your help and suggestions on your videos. He is crate trained, we thought, but <laughs> hasn't had to use the crate during the day because he's with us and our two adult boys. At night, he goes out. At night, he at night he goes out and will go immediately into it no problem our problem now is he puts on the brakes whenever we try to put him during the day his favorite treats don't work his favorite toys don't work um, no interest to him to get him in i sat i sat with him as you have showed in your videos starting from scratch and he won't come near it i got desperate and put on a trail of cheese and he would go in as far as his neck and could could reach and then laid uh, in front of the crate barking i cleaned it and walked away needless to say i didn't go anywhere uh, it didn't go anywhere. Any help or suggestions? Just be patient, Darlene. I, I'm I'm going to be honest with you. It, it, I've ne I've had some really stubborn dogs with the crate, and I can tell you that sometimes they just are so stubborn that you you can't get them you can't get them in for a while. Um, and sometimes it takes a couple of days. Sometimes it takes you know maybe even a couple of weeks. But um, that's the best thing to do. Um, I, I would be interested to know like what type of crate you have, also how big your crate is. Um, but those are things that I would I would chat about if I knew that. Um, I would just say um, continue to do what you're doing. I would anytime that he's supposed to eat, so put his food bowl, put it in the back of the crate. That's the put it back in the crate and then walk away. If you don't have any other dogs, that's the best thing to do. So if you don't have any other dogs, moving away is is really important and really helpful. Um, I just think that um, again, I, I'm really big on like be, being as natural as I can with dogs, right? So they're gonna eat. They want to eat. They smell the food. They know it's there. You put it in the back of the crate and you walk away. Say, hey, if you want to eat, it's right there. Door's not gonna shut. You're not gonna stay in there. You can go in there in and out as you want. That's how I would do it. Um, he's going to eat. He's going to need to eat. I can tell you that much. That's what I would do. Um, if any, does anybody in the chat, uh, have any questions? Uh, Max has a question. Uh, did you know the, did you know, did the one out of 127 in the dog to arc free feel the same as 1200 stim levels? Didn't get Tom's e-collar. 
Um, you, did you know that the that the one out of 127 dog to arc 800 free feel the same on 1200s? I'm not sure what you're asking here, Max. Um, I don't know what a 1200 is. I need clarity on that. Um, the other dogs we have is EcoFlex crate larger than his. Um, Darlene, I would just make sure that you, again, keep the other dogs out of the room. Um, so there's no obviously fights or anything, but that's what I would do. I would say, Hey, you're hungry. And the dog's like, yeah, I'm super hungry. I'd take his bowl and I'd slide it to the back of the crate. And I would just do that. If he doesn't eat it, you pull it out and then wait for tomorrow and he'll eat, he'll go in there and he'll eat and, um, it should get better. Um, that's what I would uh, recommend. Christy Bell, I have a pick, pit mix that's absolutely bulldozer of a dog. Very strong, lots of energy. I know some pits like to pull, so you can get a pull, uh, a weight pull harness. Do you know if this is right for my dog? Um, I'm not sure what the question again here is this. Are you looking, Christy, to have your dog pull weights for work? If that's the case, then yes, but you have to, you have to tread very carefully on that. I have no knowledge of how to do that. I've never done it. I've never seen anybody do it. Um, I'm sure that there's somebody out there, some trainer out there, some YouTube trainer out there, somebody out there that's putting information on how to do this properly, if that's what you're asking. Um, but I would find somebody that does weight pulling specifically for dogs because obviously there's a lot of injuries that could happen. Or if you want to keep it super simple, get your dog a harness with the um, pouches on the side and then just put water bottles in there and stuff. That's the easiest thing to do if your dog likes doing that stuff. I think that that's the question. Chelsea asks, any plans for LA or Oregon seminar anytime soon? Nope, nothing soon. We're not we're not doing really anything US related uh, this year. Um but we are doing London or London area. I know it's not London, but it's right outside of London, about an hour um, in September, at the uh, middle of September. And then we're hopefully, hopefully, hopefully working on Australia. We're just waiting for our visas. Um, and that's just me kind of putting that out there now that, yes, it's true. We are trying to get to Australia. If our visas come through, we will be there in November. Um, and I would be super stoked to come over there and train. But uh, yeah, nothing in the States anyway anymore. It's very possible if we do anything in the United States this year, it's going to be at my facility uh, around the holidays. Um, Ashley Collins, any new videos dropping soon? It's a great question, Ashley. Right now, you guys, I love you so much and I appreciate you guys for supporting me. Um, we are in a transition of, of, of things. So we're working on new editors. We're working on new videographers. We're getting new equipment. Um, so you're going to get the same old, not same old, but you're going to get the same dog training content, but we're also going to start putting out uh, more document style content of more long form content of the vlogs and the behind the scenes. So we have kind of different patterns coming out. So I'd like to do every, not every day, but we have a couple dogs that are coming in that I'm personally training at my house. It's a friend's dog. It's two dachshunds. If you guys remember Penny, um, Penny has got a new brother named Gus and we want to take them in and I might vlog that every day. So there's going to be some vlogging involved, just short five to six minute videos going over what I would do with a dog every day. Um, and then maybe some of my daily stuff. And then we also have the dog training content that's going to come out. Um, and then we also have seminar content that's coming out, but we're just kind of in this transition. Abby, my editor slash videographer is backed out probably for three months of content. So we're also doing interviews on editors. So 
videos are coming. We're going to get a cadence soon. Um, we're going to drop different types of videos on different days. Um, we're just kind of working on our production build right now and getting the right people in to distribute that. But every Saturday, there's going to be a video that's dropping. Um, it's just going to change a little bit as we continue to mature and grow and we do different things. Uh, it's always going to be dog related, but um, yeah, so new videos are coming out soon. As far as the member clubs videos, same thing. We have two huge seminars that we're backed up on that you guys are going to get for the most part, I believe. Um, and then we have... I think three weekends of out of states that you guys don't have yet and trust us Abby's at home working on those every day. So all that stuff will come to you very shortly. You guys will get dumped a bunch of stuff. Um, yeah. So the next seminar that we are doing in London, just so you guys know, or any seminar in the future, um, we're doing level up programs, which means a lot of times people like to, I like to talk to people, people like to talk to me, but we don't have a lot of time um, to talk. We don't have a lot of time after the seminar to talk or I'm just absolutely cooked and I don't make any sense. Um, but uh, we're doing a level up where we're going to do like a lunch in with me, I think for two hours before the seminar so we can chat and I can answer. I can I can specifically a get to spend some time to get to know you guys, but also have the opportunity to answer your questions in full length um, with me eating and me not being in seminar brain. Um, so we are doing that in uh, September in London. And there's I think there's two spots left if anybody's interested. Um, but yeah, level up program is going to be fun. Chelsea. Um, Briley or Brilly, sorry if I said your name wrong. I'm pretty sure 90% of my dog's reactivity is because of me. How do you learn to relax and trust yourself, trust your dog and not panic whenever there's another dog in sight? My best piece of advice is go out and walk without your dog. Um, to be honest with you, it's like I've seen a, oh, by the way, um, I don't know if I can, I can, well, I got a text from Larry Crone. He's going to be in the podcast soon. He's going to come to the facility and hang out. So be on the lookout for that. That's going to be fun. Um, uh, I would just say, go on a walk without your dog. The amount of people that like get so tense just to see another dog. Um, it's almost like you're, you are afraid of dogs, not the other, you know, not, not your dog is afraid of dogs. Your dog's reactive. So I just tell people to help get better and, and, and loosen up on the tension on your leash and loosen up in your anxiety when you see other dogs is to literally go out for walks without your dog. I know that that sounds silly, but I've done it with my clients. I'm like, I want you to hold this leash with no dog on it, and I want you to walk around these other dogs. And people have a hard time doing it. It's very surprising. Um, <clears throat> so that's my answer to you. Um, but then also just like, you know, breathe, breathe, breathe. Um, relax, sing a song in your head. Um, you know, that's what I used to do when I was walking dogs that were aggressive before I really knew how to train or before I knew how to like handle certain situations with other people and other dogs. Um, let's see. It, and then the, this question comes in. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not going to try to butcher your name. Matt. Yeah. Nope. Is it fair to use a pager for correcting your dog from barking at home? He is very aware about all noises from outside. He's a corgi, so it's part of his job. I can accept it, but I would like to find out a balance of communicate with him that's that teaches him. I would just say, yes, you can, but you have to make sure that if you're going to use the pager, specifically on my e-collar, that you're, you want your dog to have a fair understanding of what the remote collar is and what it means before you use it in a very corrective way. So I wouldn't just get the pager, unless you're just using it for that, you could, um, basically using it as a manual bark collar. Um, so yeah, you could, 
The answer is yes. You could also put a leash on your dog and, and use that. So, um, yeah. Anyway, guys, it's been a pleasure talking with you. I appreciate you. No Bad Dog Army. Love you guys. Thank you so much for hanging out with me this week. I can't wait to talk to you next week. Um, and hopefully you guys got some of the swag um, that you that that we launched. We got a new shirt out that comes with a sticker. We got a new treat pouch that's out. Obviously, you guys got first dibs at that. And again, once we announce any other seminars, hopefully in a place that has kangaroos and koala bears, you guys will be first to know in the members club. So be on the lookout for that. I'm kind of already priming that uh, that energy. Um, um, we're, we're hoping. Um, so anyway, thank you guys, and uh, I appreciate you so much, and I'll talk to you um Next time, if this doesn't save on the members club, for whatever reason, it says it's saving, um, this is going to be available on the No Bad Dogs podcast. So you guys can listen to this as long as you want, as often as you want. And um, But it should be fine here, but I'm just going to make sure. Yeah. All right, guys. Thank you so much for being patient with my son as well. Appreciate you guys. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.